All right, back to podcast. Hope everyone is doing well, and you've had a uh, good week so far. Uh, we uh, we came to podcast uh, this evening. Just um, I felt like not just my schedule, but there was some schedule of, the, of others um, that kind of, that that are there a lot uh, that really needed a. Um, I always promise a respite, a break, at least once or twice a month after we got through January. And I know we've been going pretty hard. Um, I know what it is to to work and to to go to church and to pastor and to preach and and to prepare. And uh, I had been planning and promising a, a break and a respite on a Wednesday evening. Um, again, in, in March, we'll probably have another one towards the end of the month. Um, and I planned on it for next week, but it, it really worked out better, uh, doing it this week. And so we're going to have podcasts tonight and, um, we go into the latter part of John chapter number six. And, uh, the next time we are in Bible study I'm looking forward to, and I'll, I'll kind of get into the subject matter uh, then. But let's go to John 6. Uh, do continue to pray for Miss Patty. Miss Patty has had a, um, uh, it's kind of been a rather difficult week uh, after the surgery, which sometimes is the case. Folks will come home and they'll still have a little medicine working and, and different things going on, and, and they feel better, and then things kind of turn a little more difficult over over a few days' time period. And so she's going through that now. I uh, do remember the services on Sunday, and uh, looking forward to that. As I count it, looks like we probably have about three more messages on David and then we will uh, we'll move on to our next series. I do enjoy series. It kind of keeps uh, continuity. It keeps our study uh, efforts where they should be. And so we'll be uh, we'll be in our next series in a few weeks, uh, probably towards the end of March. Uh, and so do do continue to pray about that. Uh, so in our last podcast, our last podcast, Jesus had fed the five thousand. And in order to get away from the crowd, he, he uh, went on the sea, or he was going back up to the mountain to pray. When he went to the mountain to pray, the disciples got on a boat, went to the sea, and um, the storm arose, and Jesus came out walking on the water. Now, now he um, he's continued, and he's continued with this following. He's still got a great following. And we'll see why he's got a great following in just a moment. Um, I find it uh, not necessarily ironic, but I find it very telling that human nature has not changed very much whatsoever uh, since the time of Christ, since since his life, uh, in how people are and respond, especially in spiritual and church settings. Um so Jesus has fed the 5,000. Well, human nature has always been attempting to marry uh, church and state, if you please. And, um, 
And, and we always seem to kind of go this way. And you know the initial, number one, the Constitution does not say separation of church and state. Um, the, the premise is there. Um, yeah, I find it so funny that 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 premise has been turned around completely. The reason, and it, and it goes back to the First Amendment, okay, uh, the, the right to peaceably assemble, and uh, you, you can't discriminate on the basis of religion, of course. That is the premise of separation of church and state. It is not saying that a, a teacher or a coach or a governor or a mayor or whoever can't pray, can't quote a Bible verse or any such like, never meant that and never will mean that. It simply means the state cannot interfere in the church's business. That's the First Amendment. Now, they can want to interpret it how they want, but I, I know why it's there. I know the history of it, and I've read the Constitution. Not as much as I've read the Bible, but I have read the Constitution and studied it. Now, having said that, it's human nature, especially among the Jews at this moment, that they won't want to follow God, but their government has gotten so oppressive that they want they want God in the government. They want to marry the two. They want the blessings of God and, and God's blessings overflow into the government. No different than today. No different whatsoever. Now, if you if you follow the history of the Bible and the Jewish people, God set the economy, he set the uh, set the order for the nation of Israel up uh, as a theocracy, not a democracy, not a republic. By the way, we're not a democracy. I'm, I'm really not trying to be controversial tonight. We're not a democracy. We're a constitutional republic. That That's ex actually what the United States is. But anyway, God designed Israel to be a theocracy, Okay. And a theocracy would be the constitutions and the ordinations and, and everything uh, given down and ordained by God, ran by God, ran by priests, judges, whatever God ordained, okay, kings. And what's happened is Rome has taken over Israel. Rome's taken over God's people. So... They, you, you have, I'm, I'm telling you all this for a reason because we're building up in Jesus's life and ministry. You've got to know the background and drop, backdrop of what's happening. And so, um, with, with Rome in the background and Rome running the governmental show, um, the nation of Israel is under great oppression, not unlike they were when with Pharaoh and, uh, you know, the taskmasters and, and different elements of government that they've been under control with. So we see that. That's, that's the scenario here. That's what's taking place during Jesus's earthly ministry. And so now what's happened is they have just witnessed Jesus has fed 5,000 people. 
Well, that's going to draw some interest. That's going to draw some votes, if you please. Amen. I mean, we, that's how it is today. We, you know, we'll we'll pay we'll pay your tuition. We'll pay your food. We'll pay we'll we'll pay you vote. Government pays you vote. Well, the government don't have a dime outside of taxpayer money. So it's really the people paying. Now, what's happening here? is there's a massive following of Jesus because of the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. And then not necessarily the, the life-changing miracles, and Jesus will, will address that in a minute. But basically, they wanted somebody to feed them. They wanted somebody to clothe them. They wanted somebody to take care of them. And that's why they began to follow him. And so we start in verse 22, and Jesus begins to get to the heart of this. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one wherein to his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread. After that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. So he's not he's saying, You're not seeking me because I healed the man that had been laying by the pool of Bethesda for thirty-eight years. You've not you're not seeking me because I'm I'm changing people's lives. You're seeking me because you eat and you think I'm gonna feed you again. So what he says, so he addresses their mindset here. Labor not for the meat which perisheth. Okay, so that would be physical meat that nourishes the body, physical bread that would nourish the body. But for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Okay. Okay, so now we're getting down to some, some brass tacks here. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? You see, they want to work. They want to work for their salvation. They want Jesus to feed them. And they want to work for it. It's just human nature. He's talking about spiritual everlasting life. He is talking about a spiritual life, a spiritual walk with God. He is talking about spiritual matters, okay? And so they say, okay, what, what are we going to do? What, what do we got to do? You tell us what we got to do. You know, it fascinates me. You can tell people, you can tell a lady to be in charge of the women's group at church, you can tell a man to give give some money to the church. You can tell people to be on a committee, or do, you can tell people to do all these these deeds, these job 
jobs, fulfill these roles, do these works. And you can tell them that's going to get them into heaven and they're going to work their fingers to the bone trying to do it. It's human nature. But when you turn around and tell them you don't have to do anything, Jesus did it for you, you're not good enough, your faith, your works aren't good enough, you can't, you can't be good enough, when you tell them that, that offends them. They would rather work for their salvation than they would recognizing they're not good enough to obtain their salvation and they need Jesus. People would. That's human. That's how people are. That's human nature. And that's where Jesus is dealing with here. He's saying you can't work enough. You can't do enough good. They said, what shall we do that we might work? Verse 28, that the works of God. And Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. They said, therefore, unto him, what sign shall... That's not good enough for them. Now they want a sign. We don't believe this. We don't think this is true. We feel like we need to go through Lent. We feel like we need to go put an ash on our head. We feel like we need to... Uh, to, to fast. We feel like we need to go through uh, catechisms. We feel like we need to be baptized. We feel like we, do you see the problem with that? It's we feel like we need to do. And whatever you feel like you need to do to be saved, that is what is carrying you into hell. You do nothing to be saved outside of believe on him who can save you because you can't save yourself. That's that's what he's saying here. That's what he's addressing. Verse number 31, look, our fathers did eat man in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So how many times in these, these salvation accounts have we read in the scriptures where the Bible tells us that their father, or, or that the Bible tells us that they referred to their fathers or their forefathers or those that went on before them for some method or mode of salvation. We read that throughout all of these accounts. It's, it's almost every single time, every single time we read where Jesus deals with someone directly they refer to their past forefathers, their past parents, their religious pedigree. And again, people are still the same. If a preacher opens up a Bible, preaches these same truths, there will be some that have been a part of a church for many years that will raise these exact same uh, issues with that preacher as what these people are with Jesus. They either want to work for it, they're good enough, or their family's got a long religious tradition and history, and that's good enough. And Jesus is trying to tell them none of that is good enough. Then Jesus, verse 32, said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He said, no longer are we dealing with physical bread. I did that as, a, as an instruction, as an illustration, just to be able to bring up this topic. You followed me not because I can perform miracles or accomplish miracles. You're following me because I fed you. Now, since you're coming back to be fed, let me really feed you. Let me tell you what you need. That's how Jesus worked. That's how Jesus worked. So I'm not opposed to feeding somebody a hot dog to get them to church, but when I get them to church, I can tell you this, they ain't they ain't they gonna find out it ain't that eating that hot dog from the church ain't gonna get them saved. You must be born again. So the Bible says here, uh, Jesus saith unto them, verse 35, I am the bread of life, he that cometh to me shall never hunger. That's beautiful, because you remember what he told the woman at the well, he that cometh to me shall never thirst. So now he's saying, you come to me, you'll never thirst. You come to me, you'll never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. There he goes. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. He said, you laid eyes on me and you still don't believe. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Now, we're going we're gonna to get to the answer to that in a minute. Do you see that? If you come to Jesus to be saved, you come to Jesus in saving faith, you come to Jesus understanding you can't save yourself, you come to Jesus not wanting him to do for you anything other than to save you, that Bible says you came based on God drawing you to Jesus, and if God does that, Jesus will not cast you out. You can't pray wrong, you can't do wrong, you come to him on that basis and on that faith he will save you. Now watch this. Bible says here, verse number uh, 40, verse number 40, or verse 39, I'm sorry. Uh, and this is the Father's will, which has sent me, that all of which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Great eternal security verse right there. I should lose nothing. I should lose nothing. He, sh he will not lose you. You can't. I, I had somebody be smart one day. It's, it's a Facebook message, actually. They, they messaged me through. They had made a post, and for some reason, they thought of me. So they, they ended up messaging me and say, well, And the post was, uh, I, I know no man can pluck you out of my hand, but you can jump. You know, I've heard people have said that you can jump out of his hand. Well, here's the reality. The word of God says that he has imprinted us in the palm of his hands. Okay. So, you know, I'm not the biggest tattoo guy, but almost tattooed to my hand. Well, guess what? You can't get that off. It's imprinted in his hand. You can't jump out of his hand, folks. His hand's way bigger than that. Because that Bible says he's lost nothing. Anything the Father had given. And so this whole eternal security business is people not understanding what it means to be secure in Christ. And again, it does not make you want to live in sin. It, it makes you want to live for Jesus if you've ever really truly experienced it.
And so, the Bible said, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Well, look at what the Jews do. They, they start murmuring about this. The Jews then started murmuring at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? So basically they start turning to one another and they're saying, Look, this guy's talking about being, being the son of God. This guy's talking about coming from heaven. Man, he come from Joseph. He come from Mary. We, we know exactly who this is. This ain't no son of God. That's, that's what they're murmuring. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me. Now, this is one of uh, one of the strongest scriptures in all of the Bible. Okay, this is a, a very strong verse. You have heard me, and, and as we get into the Paul study and the Paul series, you're, you're going to hear me preach and teach more on salvation, what salvation is, how you get saved, how you know you're saved, and so forth. Well, basically, there are there are a few elements present it's for salvation primarily three conviction confession repentance that's it conviction confession repentance without any of the, without one of those you're a person's not saved so the term convict i i okay but i know there was just a very famous trial uh here across the country or here in the southeast here in south carolina this, this murdoch fella he was convicted. In other words, a jury proclaimed that he was guilty of, of the accusations laid against him. Okay, convicted. That's where we get the term convict from. Well, the Bible, the Bible subject to conviction is this. You recognize that you are guilty of sin. You're guilty of not being God-like, not being Christ-like. You are guilty of, of sinning in your life. You're guilty of that very sin nature. You are guilty as a sinner. Now, conviction itself has two elements. Number one, it is an acknowledgement. It's a, almost awakening, a recognizing, oh, I'm a sinner. Oh, I'm going to hell. Oh, I'm lost. And then... The drawing, the drawing. Now, it can be in the form of tears. It can be in the form of a sleepless night. I've seen it all. The Bible talks about Agrippa. Uh, Felix trembled. Um, so, you know, it could be physical. You could tremble. You could shake. You could cry. You, but you don't have to have any of that. You could just acknowledge, understand you're lost and you're going to hell and something is drawing you to God. So conviction is the drawing. Conviction must be present. You must know you're lost and you must be drawn to Jesus by the Holy Ghost. So look at verse 44. Here's my basis for that. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, 
and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus said, you cannot come to me if the Father does not draw you to me. Okay? So that that is the trouble with the whole uh, repeat after me and going about snapping your gum and whatever type professions we see is the fact that there's got to be a drawing. The Holy Ghost, God has got to draw you to Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus says here, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard, hath learned of the Father, cometh unto me. Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God, he has seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto him, Barely, barely, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. That is not Catholicism. The Catholics actually teach that when you, you take the Lord's Supper, that you're eating his flesh, and drink the wine, you're drinking his blood. That, and, and then Jesus clears that up later and says these are types, these are symbols. And that's what he's saying here. He is making a parallel to manna in the wilderness. And manna in the wilderness was given daily. And he says, I am the bread of life. You won't ever have to eat again. Take me in. Consume me. Let me live in you. Drink me up. Let me live in you. Have a relationship with me. Draw close to me. Experience me. That is eternal life. Whoso eateth my flesh, drink my blood. Or verse 55, for my flesh is meat indeed. My blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh, drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. That just simply means we dwell one in another. We're in Christ, Christ in us. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, and even uh, he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. So he addresses the fathers, and he says they're that they're dead. They eat the manna and they're dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things saith he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. What is Jesus saying? He's saying nothing in religion, nothing in the filling of the bread. Ye must be born again, a spiritual birth. And I'll say that he is the most contenting thing He's the most contenting factor that I've ever experienced in my life. And that's why he makes the reference to bread. That's why he, that, that's why he makes the, the reference to drink. That's why he makes the reference to consumption. Is because it teaches us that he lives in us and us in him. And there can be no greater and closer relationship in the world. Okay, 
I'm so glad I have a relationship with him that's independent of my works, independent of my family, independent of anything in this world. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope you all have enjoyed this. This has been the second part of John chapter number six. We will uh, continue Sunday night with the last part of John six and most likely uh, we'll go into John seven. Okay, we'll continue with John six and then go into John chapter number seven. Uh, we'll probably pick up in verse 60 next week. And then don't forget to turn your clocks forward, spring forward on uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning. And I will see you at 930 on Sunday morning. Good night. God bless. I love each of you.